Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. Hope everybody's doing well today. It's good to see everyone. Glad to have everyone here today. Uh, I hope everyone came hungry because I have seen some of the food that's been put out, including some desserts that I already took a snack on. So uh, glad everybody's here. Please do not leave if your stomach is growling. Uh, I tend to growl, but it's not my stomach. This morning, the subject matter is the gospel is for all. That's a very true statement. The good news, the gospel is in fact for all. And what we're going to do when we talk about that is we're going to say that, make sure we know the gospel is simply the good news. The good news that there is freedom offered from sin and the consequences of sin. Salvation, being free from sin, going home to live with God. Without the good news, people die in their sins. That's what Jesus said. Unless you believe that I am He, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. And unfortunately, a large number of people around the world have not either heard or really understood the importance of the good news, the gospel. I recently returned from Malawi in Africa. Malawi in Africa. I was gone two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago today. Time's still a bit blurred me. But I was coming back two weeks ago from Malawi in Africa where I was able to go and teach students who are going to become preachers. These are men who are living on a campus in Malawi in Africa who are studying an 18-month course to become preachers and then go out and uh, teach other people. Now I was there to teach a class on world religions. I suspect based on what I heard, that it was because they couldn't find anybody else who was foolish enough to go in and talk about world religions. But that's what I was there for. So we talked about Islam, we talked about Buddhism, and we talked about Hinduism. Not going through what the world religions teach, point by point, to say, here's why this is wrong, here's why this is wrong, here's why this is wrong. But so that when these preachers who are out in the bush, out in the countryside, meet someone who is Muslim or meet someone who is Buddhist, a lot of people coming in from China into this country, or someone who is Hindu, a lot of people in this country from India, they would have a way to understand a little better what this person believes and thinks to find common ground. Time enough to go through point by point and discuss, is this really true or is this really not? But you got to have, I think, some understanding of where somebody is if you want to start talking with them. So that's what I was there for. Now, the first question some of you may ask, where on earth, true statement here, where on earth is Malawi? Well, we'll start here. The circle up in your top left, right, is roughly over Tennessee. At least it's over the southeast of the United States. Malawi is all the way over on the other side of the world. It is in Africa, and it is below the equator. Zooming in on Africa, that's where I was. If you look, at the top, you've got more or less the Sahara Desert. You then have the uh, jungle, the rainforest in the middle. Whoops. You've got the rainforest in the middle. And then down at the very bottom of the picture is South Africa. South Africa. There's Malawi. And then zooming in a little closer, there's Malawi. Happens to have one of the largest freshwater lakes in the world. As I recall, I think it's larger than any of the Great Lakes uh, here in the United States. It's very famous for fancy freshwater fish. If you get an aquarium beyond the first day or two of having goldfish, you kind of maybe want a little pizzazz in your aquarium. 
and you're faced with a choice. If you go to a saltwater aquarium, it's very difficult, very expensive, but you get, wow, these fish <coughs> just seem to pop in the aquarium. Whereas if you want fresh water, your choices are much more limited. The fancy fish that you can get for fresh water, almost all come from Lake Malawi here. But Malawi is a land of 20 million people. That's roughly three times the number of people that are in Tennessee. 80% of the people in the country are broadly Christian, and roughly 20% are Muslim. 20% are Muslim. The gross domestic product, the average amount of produced in a year per person in Malawi, is under $600. That is not much. Compare that to the average gross domestic product per person in the United States of 70000 and it is a much poorer country, of course, than the United States. The primary exports are tobacco, sugar, and tea. Those are the three biggest exports out of Malawi. But as we get started here, right, they do speak several different languages. Most people know English. It's taught in schools. Even if you go for only a couple of years, you learn English. But there are also several historic tribal languages, if you will, that are spoken. Chichewa, Tambuka, and others. Let's learn some Chichewa today. You didn't know this was going to be a foreign language class, did you? We're going to, I'm going to do my best to teach everybody in here, including Robbie, some Chichewa. So here we go. The phrase you say when you meet someone in Malawi is, hello, how are you? Okay? That's not what you say. We're going to learn it in Chichewa. The way you say that in Chichewa is Muli Bwanji. And I've given a little phonics over here, right? Let's learn phonics. Say it with me now. Muli Bwanji. Let's say it again. Muli Bwanji. That's not tough. If you get stuck in Malawi, if you wake up in Malawi tomorrow morning, you can say, hey, how are you? You say, Muli Bwanji. Or for young people, they're much cooler. They say, Mubwanji. That's, that's the slang, Mubwanji. So I enjoy messing with some people, younger kids. I'd go up to them and say, hey, Mubwanji. They'd be like, you're an old person. So it's <coughs> funny. Muli Bwanji. The response, if somebody says, hey, how are you? You've got to respond to them. The response in English is, I am good, and you, right? You respond, I'm doing okay, how about you, right? That's what we would say in English. Here, the spelling's a little tougher, but it's pretty easy to say. Nindili bueno, kaya inu. So, nindili bueno, you can see it, and then kaya inu, sound, that's pretty easy to read off there. So here we go. We'll start first, right? Muli buanji. One more time, everybody. Muli buanji. Nindili bueno, kaya inu. I'm okay, how about you, right? And the response is, you know, Nindili Bueno, I'm fine, or thank you. You just say thank you. Thank you is the easiest of the words. It's Zikomo. Zikomo. Say that out loud, okay. Zikomo. So whenever I'm speaking, they, it's always the, they try to set a trap for you if you're speaking to a group of people in Malawi. They expect you to say this, and they just love to laugh if you say it wrong. And so I was with a preacher from South Africa. He got up and just kind of went, blah, 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 and they just laughed at him because he couldn't come out with it. But you get a little level of street cred, a little coolness if you can manage to pull it off. And so I've been there four times now, so I can pretty much do this. And you always end your speech or your talk or your interaction by saying, Zikomo. If you're in a market and somebody gives you what you've purchased, you always say, Zikomo. 
Uh, going through customs, I seemed to get a little bit uh, of a break. I wasn't as examined as early because I went up to him and said, Muli Wines. He's like, oh, you speak Chichewa. Like, very, very little. But they know I've been there before. They know I've been there before. So when you're going to Malawi, how do you get there? You're on a plane. Four planes, as a matter of fact, for a long time. For me, I went from Nashville to Toronto. That's that YYZ up in Canada. That's just a two-hour flight. You can get to Toronto faster than you can LA or any other place, more or less in the United States. Question? Should be there's five dots, four planes. Plane connects dot to dot. So there are four planes. You're right. Five cities starting in Nashville, four dots. So I flew to Toronto, where I ended up with a ten-hour layover. I didn't choose the ten-hour layover. They changed my flight schedule once I was on it. So I had a lot of time in the Toronto airport. I actually got 10,000 steps wandering around the Toronto airport. I then went from Toronto over to London where I had a nine hour layover. A lot of layovers, a lot of layovers. You then flew from uh, London, LHR, to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. First time I'd ever flown into the Ethiopian airport. And that was landing at the crack of dawn, 5.30 in the morning. So I ended up sleeping twice on planes trying to get, trying to sleep twice on planes to get there. And then you get to the long way, LLW, in Malawi. It is a long way to the long way, I can tell you. Now, you may think you've seen lines here at Walmart or the self-checkout at a Kroger or even in an airport if you've ever been on a plane. You have never seen lines before. This was at the gate in Ethiopia trying to get on the plane. And I, I don't know how we could have packed more people in there, but we made it and flew out of Ethiopia. When you get to Malawi, it's a very beautiful country, but it is a very dry country most of the times I've been there. They have a monsoon season, which they're getting into now where it rains every day. But most of the time you have this road that seems to just go ever, ever on. Or you have countryside that looks like this. Out in the countryside, it is more grassland. There aren't as many trees. And what trees there are, if they're near people, usually they've been cutting them down in order to burn the wood to cook with or to heat their houses, their homes, on chilly mornings. So there's not a whole lot of trees. You know you're in a strange place when you see this. I don't know if you can tell, but that's a picture of the Big Dipper. And we use the Big Dipper here in Tennessee or in North America because the little cut of the Big Dipper points to the North Star. You should learn that as a scout or something <coughs> early on. But you can always try to find north if it's queer. You look for the Big Dipper and the cut of the Big Dipper is pointing at the North Star. It doesn't work in Malawi because where's the cut? On that far side over there on the far right, where's that pointing? Below the horizon. I'm below the equator. The North Star is never visible in Malawi. So you gotta have a different way to get around. Every time I've been there, I end up getting north and south confused. Because in the north, where we are here, right, the sun is almost always in the southern part of the sky. That's south because the sun's out this way. South somewhere over here, right? It's backward when you're below the equator and my mind cannot process that. So for the first three times I was there, I never realized I had north and south wrong all the time. I tried this time. I would try as we were riding around saying, all right, and this way is south, and I'd also get it wrong. So just give up. Compass is hard to work down there too, but be with somebody that knows which direction you're going and everything's fine. Speaking of the direction you're going, there's a lot of taxis in Malawi. Yeah. And 
The phrase is, there's always room for one more. <laughs> always room for one more. This is not an exception. There really are taxis, so there'll be a little minivan. I'm like, it's more, more people in there than a can of sardines. The cars are very rare in Malawi, so if you don't want to walk, you will try to pay somebody to let you get packed into something so you can get where you're trying to go. Foods are a little different in Malawi, and I'm talking about even in grocery stores. I have this little kick. It's my only uh, real fun thing I usually do on a lot of these trips. I like to go to a grocery store or something and bring back some foods from the countries I visit. I've done that in the Philippines and Malaysia and other places. I do it when I'm in Africa. And I bought a little bit today. There may still be some of it left today. Potato chips are usually easy. You can't bring back a raw fish. Customs tends to frown on that if you're trying to bring it back into the States. But processed potato chips or you know things like that, cookies are usually fairly safe. Well, I found this. Kellogg's Strawberry Pops, like Strawberry Rice Krispies. Since I saw this, this was some years ago for this one, they introduced Strawberry Rice Krispies here in the United States. Didn't taste anywhere as good as this. This had a wonderful strawberry flavor. I looked for it this time, no Rice Krispies. I was so disappointed they weren't carrying them anymore. You also have this kind of thing, monkey gland sauce. Now that is not real. Uh, as I recall, what I've been told is when you had uh, Europeans who were first in here, the tribesmen pulled jokes over on them. The people, native peoples, pulled jokes on them. So, oh, you've got to try our monkey gland sauce. And the Europeans are like, sauce made from the glands of monkeys? So they would make something more like barbecue sauce than anything else. And so now it's always still the joke, right? Here's the, the barbecue sauce, such as it is, monkey gland sauce. The country in the cities is very, very modernistic. This is a soccer stadium that the Chinese built for them, where they were hoping to host some uh, international games. They have not kept it up very well. It's fallen into some disrepair, so they don't do that anymore. But you do have a lot of cars in the city, but the cars are always usually around uh, a lot of dry, dirt areas as people are driving around. But you have some stores in the cities. Unfortunately, where I've been in the past, many roads look like that. Dirt roads. And you really need a truck, preferably a four-wheel drive to get there because some roads look like that. <laughs> Sometimes you're driving around and you think you're on the surface of Mars. Is this a picture from the Mars rover that's been beamed back recently? And sometimes, even in the cities, the roads are a bit rough. I had my phone in the window taking a video so you might get a feel for how jumpy this was when the phone fell off the, the front dash. It was that much of a vibration. But this is a road in the long way that's undergoing maintenance and instead of doing half a mile and you get it ready and then another half mile is like a five mile stretch to do it all at once, which isn't going to work. On those back roads, you do see a lot of this. You see a lot of animals still being used to haul things because people do not have the money to be able to buy something that's motorized. Car is not something an average Malawian will ever have, will ever have. If you're out really far away from the cities, you do run into things that make you wonder, where am I? Where am I? The next few pictures are of men who are, are called nyaos, N-Y-A-O-O, nyaos. And these are people that practice still some tribal religions. Think of them as boogeymen. And if you see this on the side of the road, you may think that's a boogeyman. He is dressed, wearing a hood or a hat, and that is not a stick to keep dogs away from him. 
They'll often usually try to intimidate people, they rob people, they often pick on children, if children happen to be wandering around carrying something. And others look more like this. I took both of these pictures of these men were alongside the car. Um, and then this guy, this guy came up, the car was not moving at first, but I was very glad that it did because they might have tried to shake us down. You got some people that are just, they have a lot of time on their hands. This is not the growing season. It's not the planting season. And so they try to get stuff by intimidating other people. Nows. However, that's very far and few between. Malawi has the slogan of the warm heart of Africa. And nearly everybody you're going to meet is very, very kind and helpful. I have never, never, somebody asked me this, I've never had for a moment worried about myself when I've been in Malawi. People generally have a kind heart anywhere they are. If you go to Malawi, you'll find yourself sleeping in one of these. That's a mosquito net because malaria is endemic. You need malaria meds if you go. I'm still taking mine for the next three weeks now that I'm back. But you're under a, a, a malaria net, mosquito net, because mosquitoes may easily carry malaria. Uh, malaria. Most Malawians have malaria. Because outside of the major cities, unfortunately, most of the people in Malawi are still living in relatively open air homes of some sort that they have no protection against the mosquitoes and malaria. Mosquitoes thrive in open bodies of water, and so You've got gullies and things that I've shown you some pictures of. Mosquitoes seem to make a great home for that. This was a village we were walking through as we were headed to church services on a Sunday morning. And this is not something that's set up for tourists to see. Remember, the gross domestic product per person in Malawi is less than $600. So there's not a lot of money to have fancy places in which to live. Another picture down the street, side street of a village. Those houses are made out of, we might say adobe, they're uh, fire burned or, or fire uh, mud bricks that they lay out and make like this and then stack them up into a heap and set fire to the heap to cure the bricks. The number one crop is corn. And so yes, if you have corn, you're going to pull off the dry corn on your own. And the primary staple they eat is a, a mush, it almost looks like mashed potatoes made from corn. The best thing I can think of is if you had a dough and you made it too watery, that's what it reminds me of, and it's the favorite I have eaten. When people come to assemble for church or uh, classes or a gathering, again, not many cars, but you will see a lot of bicycles. People will sometimes bike four or five hours to get to where there's going to be a class or a gathering. Most of the people here uh, came to hear me, poor, poor guys, <laughs> they came to hear me when I was speaking for four hours one day, and they are packed in sitting on the floor of a structure. <clears throat> this was a gathering of elders from churches scattered all over the area that came to listen to me as I was talking the last time I was in Malawi, not this time. Or they come and gather in their church building, and they will sit on the floor, men on one side, women on the other. Uh, that is their cultural thing, and missionaries have died on that uh, altar trying to get people to sit together. Rather foolish. Uh, that's their culture. Sit where you want. It doesn't matter to me. I did encourage some of the guys. I said, how about maybe if you're married, you sit in the middle and your wife happens to sit in the middle right next to you. After all, I said, wouldn't you rather sit next to your pretty wife, pretty wife than some of these ugly guys you're sitting next to here? And a few of the guys decided to do that. So why not, right? I mean, sure, I'd much rather sit with my wife 
wasn't in it. You got this, I promise you that. But here they are looking in the back, uh, again, in the church building that's not very waterproof if it rains. As they're sitting there listening to me, and I have a translator. Again, most people will speak English, so I would say English. Uh, you've got to learn how to speak a sentence and then pause and let the, the translator, who is a uh, local missionary to Creek Hall down the road here, supports Isaac uh, translate for me. By the way, I have a few heroes. He's, he's definitely one of them. So the Sunday I was there, here we were walking outside of the wall of the school compound where the classes were going on. That's in the background, made of brick oak blocks, and it has an electric fence. That's not to keep lions, tigers, and bears out. That's to make sure that somebody who is poor and hurting isn't tempted to climb over the fence and take some things from people. Maybe one of the meows, although I didn't see any meows this time. But as we're walking, right, you've got all these children who are children of the families who are living on the school campus, walking, following along as we go through the village. And that I'm going to make my profile picture because I just love that picture. And there I am walking along with some of the children through the village. And we were headed to this church house. Some congregations, some people will have had the time and effort and the ability to you know, fire cure some of these wood, uh, uh, mud bricks to make a church building. Some people just meet out in the open. There's no requirement that you have a building, although here, when it's 25 degrees outside, I know we're all glad that we do. Others have a building that's kind of whitewashed like this. And so here they have written on it, Church of Christ, and that, that's the word from Matthew uh, 16, 18. And then at the bottom, that is in Chichewa, in Pingo Wa Christu, Church of Christ, so people know where they are. This was the Sunday that I had gotten there. I just got there on the Saturday, so the next morning at church services I was speaking. That's one of my students, that is Wilson, who was translating for me. And so people were sitting there in the church building listening to me, and I was talking about a sermon I shared here, Forgetfulness. You may remember, talked about how we need to learn to forget things that are in the past, like the Apostle Paul did, so that we can press on toward the goal. Quit worrying about things that you did that were mistakes or sinful, especially if you've asked to be forgiven. Put them behind you and march forward. So we talked about that. People, when they're working on the crops, are often like these women. Now think about that for a minute. They're out digging with a hoe, it's not motorized, and they're bent over at a 90 degree angle most of the days, and one of them has a little piece of baggage. She's got her child in the back. What irritated me was many times their husbands are sitting back at the house chatting with each other. Culture is very different. Culture is very different. That, that greatly annoyed me. The men you typically would think should be out there at least working with the women of the village, but that's often not the way it is in Malawi. Then you have these hard workers. These are a couple of the children from the uh, uh, school facility, the compound that I was in. And they were helping out because, as you can see in that bottom uh, corner of the screen, part of the front facing at the, at the sidewalk of one of the buildings had broken off. And so they were des des definitely trying to help with the mortar so they could help make the repairs. Love those children. And as you can see, they were more than willing just to uh, stand or sit for pictures with me. This is where the students who were living on campus get their water for food or for washing. This is actually next to a big wash table where they would wash their clothes. That's coming from a well uh, down dug straight out of the ground. Uh, as a non-Malawian, as a foreigner, I do not drink this water because I would be asking for it. It has uh, bacteria in it that my system is not used to. 
If I want to spend a couple of days in bed feeling very, very ill, then the best thing to do is to take a swig of some of this water. So unfortunately, I do not interact in this way with uh, my Malawian friends and brothers and sisters. This little boy is pulling a toy that is a little car with a string. You think, oh, that's nice. This one, however, was made from dried mud. It was two little sticks that formed the axles of the wheels. And the daughter of the fasteners uh, that I was staying with, they were from America, they were, uh, built the school from the ground up, uh, was making this little car store. So again, having fun. Here's what the school compound looks like. The row of houses that you see stretching across is where the families live. So again, husband and wife and their children come once they are accepted into the school and they are given this house to live in, which has a main room, has a bathroom, has an area for food to be set out, it's not very big, and one bedroom for the whole family. And that's where they are living as they are taking these classes. You see the water tower. Uh, if you want water today, the water is pumped up out of the well right underneath it, up into the tower. The power for that comes entirely from solar cells. And I will tell you right now, however, if it's a remotely cloudy day, you're not going to have enough power. So if we're going to uh, change all of our future to be renewable, we got to figure out what to do on a cloudy, rainy stretch of days for four or five days where you don't have any sunshine. If it did that here, you wouldn't have any water because that would have to get pumped up out of the ground. But as long as you're not trying to get water when everybody else is getting water, the pump can keep the water power filled and you have water coming. This is the home where the missionaries are living, the compound where they are. It's a, a more of a Western home. Uh, this has been their place now for the 10 years that they've been in Malawi. I was staying in the room that's right on the far end, as you can see, and a very, very delightful, helpful uh, couple. Here's the building where most of the classes are taken. This is the assembly room. This is where they had a chapel. That's what the chairs are out for. And I was teaching in a room there in the back. In the room off to the left, the right side of that, is a big printing operation because they print lots and lots of materials. Booklets that are studied from when people gather together in those big classes or simply pamphlets. You know, most of us have seen pamphlets in the lobby of a church building. You pick them up and it's like, why everybody else is wrong? Or, you know, what is the Bible anyway? Or something, right? Pamphlets. It's been a big business for a long, long time. But we typically, as Americans, are kind of past that. Most people don't even look at the pamphlet rack or pick any of them up. What we have found, however, is that in Malawi, if you have printed material, it's so difficult to come by that on average, eight to 10 people will read every single pamphlet if you give one out. Somebody will read it, they'll leave it behind. It's not just picked up as trash and thrown away. Another person will read it. So in previous years, as we were driving on roads out far away from the main cities, we'd come upon people on the side of the road. They would turn away because I mean, there's a huge dust cloud that follows the vehicle right on the dirt roads. But we would open up the sunroof and hold papers as we were coming to them, and they would see that we had some papers. As we went by them, yeah, we would deliver. We'd let it go. So instead of worrying about police coming to give you a ticket, once you got past, people would run out into the road to grab the paper and see what you had left behind for them to read very hungry for reading material, especially a very religious society wanting to know more of what the Bible says. They're very, very open to listening to what you have to say, as opposed to many times here in America, people not being willing to listen at all. A couple of pictures of some of the people. This is Flasco. 
I've known Flasco since I went the first time. Uh, he is the one who was in charge of the grounds and the upkeep of the grounds. He was the one who was repairing uh, with the mortar, the portion at the bottom of the, the building by the sidewalk that I showed you a picture of the kids helping him. Uh, Flasco and I were in the back of a truck when it hit a big bump. The last time I was there, we went flying. We were in a closed-in cab, and my head hit the ceiling. He went sideways. It's very dangerous sometimes as you're going and don't see the speed bump or the big hole in the road. He now has three children. I told him he needed four more. He wasn't really excited about that. He was very glad I didn't tell his wife. But he and his wife have three children, three lovely little children. This was a picture during the chapel service. They have chapel two or three days a week. Uh, gives the ladies a chance to come up and study as well as the men. So here we're sitting. This is what classroom, the classroom was, was like. Here I was sitting talking to the different students. And if you could make out, I don't know if you can, but if you see the board, I have things written up there about Islam. So we spent a whole day, half day, talking about Judaism, very little. Most, none of the preacher men had ever met a Jewish person. But they had met a Muslim and had known that there were Buddhists and Hindus who were coming into that. So we talked about Islam. And there are the students and they're taking a quiz. I waited until they were taking a quiz see how well they were doing. This was Bodwin. Uh, Bodwin, one of the students, uh, was, was a very attentive student. He had the highest grade in the whole class. And here is Dunbell and George. Dunbell, in the seated uh, chair, has never had really use of his legs. I think it may have been polio when he was younger. His legs were very, we would say, shriveled up. He cannot walk. And so the way he gets around, there's a wheelchair in the building, but the way he gets around is he has essentially a tricycle, a big seat in the back on two wheels, and then one uh, wheel in the front. But it's not powered by foot power, right? They've taken the chain and they've moved it up to the handles. He turns it and is able to go. You feel his arms and they're stronger than anybody's in here because he's been driving himself around with this uh, for a lot, of, a lot of years. He and his wife have three children. As well, and he is planning to be a preacher. He's, he's very, very active. He will not let somebody go by without asking them to know about Jesus, which many times is all it takes. Is that right? That's right. Here I am with Wilson. Wilson was one of the other uh, students of mine. You saw him translating for me on Sunday. The reason these people are in these classes, the reason they are studying, the reason they have left where their home was, was because they want to have a a grounded overview of the Bible, studies in biblical topics that they can use and better understand to share the word with other people. Many, many times, sharing the word with other people leads to a scene like that, where somebody has come to know Jesus and wants to give their life to Jesus and dies to themselves by being immersed in water so that God will forgive their sins as they are raised up out of it. There were no crocodiles in here. But it's very, very muddy water. This is what you got. You use what you have. And then, of course, a sunset picture out of my window over in Malawi. Malawi's eight hours ahead, so whenever I would call home, I'd have to subtract the eight hours. But a beautiful place full of very beautiful people who have a lot of hardships compared to you and I. And I always feel very, very um, ashamed of myself when I come back. Because I'll, I'll ask things like, can you believe the Wi-Fi is so slow in this business? Yeah. Or the first world problems that we have. It makes me very ashamed. And so in that sense, it is very good for me to go. 
Again, the passage we read earlier that Jeff read about the gospel is for all. Paul in Romans 16 said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Jew and Gentile makes up everybody. The gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. Now, there's no need to travel to Africa to talk about Jesus, although if you want to, I can make sure I get you there. I know the way there and I know the way back. So come on if you want. But the gospel's for everybody. That's you and me. That's our neighbors, strangers we meet. If only we will get in the habit like Dunbell, the student I had in Africa, of simply being willing to talk about Jesus. And that seems to be so difficult many times for us here in the United States. How do you do that? How do you talk about Jesus? I have encouraged people simply to say, checking out in a store or if it was somebody to say, isn't this a beautiful day God gave us? I doubt the response is going to be, what do you mean by God? No, I don't think that will be the response. The response may be, yes it is. And the follow-up question can be very easy. Well, you go to church someplace. They can always shut you down if they don't want to talk, but you just never know. All we need to do is to be able to throw the seed out for good news, because it is good news, if we are willing to share it. So my challenge for all of us, like my students back in Malawi who are studying purposefully to share the good news, let's do our best to be better at speaking the good word for Jesus. When the early church went through persecution in Acts 8, verse 4, everywhere the believers were scattered as they were running away from Jerusalem and Judea, look what it says, they told people the good news. Because people needed to hear it. What is that good news? Good news is for all of us here today as well. God loves you. Jesus died for you. That is definitely some good, good news. So if you're here and you have not become a member of God's family or not what we would say is a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then the good news is Jesus came, lived, and died a perfect life so that your sins, things that each of us have done where we've done wrong and knew better, can be wiped away as God forgives us when we repent, begin turning around and walking back home toward God instead of living for ourselves, and we are immersed class, I use the idea of the dunk oriole when we are buried in water, just like Jesus was buried in the heart of the earth. And then when we are raised up, God is the one who raises us up as a brand new person with all of our sins forgiven. Or, if you're a member of God's family, but you just haven't been living for God. When you look back at the last few days, weeks, months, years, whatever it may be, you used to be following after Jesus, but now you seem to follow after more of what you want. It's real easy to return. You recognize like the prodigal son did in Jesus' parable, I need to go home, and you get up and you start walking back toward God. If that describes you today, please also respond because we will happily pray with you for the forgiveness of sins like we all do. If the good news is for you today, please, please come home to God. Let's together we stand.